Hello and welcome to F1 in Review episode 20. In this introduction there'll be no jokes, no gimmicks, just our sincere thanks to Dr Ian Roberts, Bear Mylander, as well as the Marshals who were all there at Sunday's Bahrain Grand Prix. Let's get started. Sebastian Vettel's gone into base for Stafford and under breaking Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish. Adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. Lovely. I know. A, a very wholesome one, this, uh, that was this nice. episode. For obvious that was reasons. So we've got to start this episode with the elephant in the room, the the awful incident which happened on Sunday. This was the crash of Roman Grosjean on the opening lap, uh, one where he was he deemed a racing incident, um, not the fault of Kibiat, not the fault uh, of the driver himself. He aggressively dove for a space on the right as Kimi Raikkonen went left. Um, some say it was because he was trying to avoid the debris from Stroll's car. I guess only Roman could tell you that. However, he collided with Kvyat, uh, headed straight for the barriers, and unfortunately, due to the velocity and angle at which he was going, um, it was an incident where the car was able to split in two. One wheel went over the barriers one side, one went across uh, the track to the other side, and there was a huge, huge explosion. Um, and I think I speak for everyone uh, when I say my heart was very much in my mouth. We, we all thought the worst. Uh, but thankfully, he's been able to escape with uh, burns to his hands as well as his ankles, but no breaking or fractures of his ribs or any part of his body. All we've got to say is thank our lucky stars we didn't see another uh, incident where a, a Formula One racer or indeed a Formula Two racer or three racer or whoever sadly passed away doing what they love to do. Yeah, I think when, when I saw the fire, my brain went... I think I've just seen someone die and that's yeah, that's not good and I was watching it with my family and we all sort of just stopped because it, it's a really odd moment to see a modern day Formula One car explode I've never seen it even fire in Formula One is really before our time I, I can think of I can think of examples like when in refueling when there was fire, but again that wasn't that was the eighties. That wasn't really when when I was watching. Cars crash and they just don't do anything. And so as soon as I just saw fire, I thought, right, well, it must have been some catastrophic failure. Unfortunately, no amount of protection can really stop someone passing in an explosion. But I've it was just an absolute well, I'm, I don't want to use the word miracle. I've seen lots of people use the word miracle, and it's annoying because it wasn't a miracle that Grosjean survived. It was years and years of debate over whether or not we should add more stringent safety policies. The argument was already small that we shouldn't have things like the halo in Formula 1, and now th th there just cannot be any more debate. If you are someone who sits there and thinks, oh, well, we shouldn't have things like halo in Formula 1 anymore, your presence would be better served watching another sport because we just saw the halo prevent yet again someone's head from being removed forcibly from their body which i think is a pretty damn good example of how good technology is now at saving drivers lives yeah i completely agree and like 
watching that you like with yourself um with your family i was sat with my parents and this thing the second that we saw that you know you you see someone skidding off track as you just said in f1 you don't expect to see that now like you expect to see maybe like how albon's car looked um in practice the other day you know it was a bit it was quite crunched up but he was completely fine and the second there was that bang and that explosion those flames went up you know i'm i'm pretty sure i don't even remember what happened because it, it just flashed by but i mean i'm I mean, I was in tears a few seconds later and me and my parents were all up, up, up like hands against our faces staring at the TV. Because as you say, Tristan, I did think I had just seen someone die on my TV. And I, that was horrific. Honestly, it was one of the worst things I've seen. So, and I'm honestly still a bit stressed by it. Like, I'm, I'm not totally comfortable at the minute watching back all the playbacks again and again, because um, I think I was going to mention this later, but like, I, I do think it was overplayed a little bit. And for me personally, even though I know he's fine, I still keep getting the flashbacks of those moments when I knew that, when I didn't know that he was and I thought I'd just seen what I'd seen and I I'm still a bit shaken by that so but anyway as you say yeah absolutely like I was one of those people actually who was like it's a miracle I tweeted that but you're absolutely right that halo um you know even Grosjean himself said um in hospital when he spoke um which was absolutely a brilliant video to see him smiling and, and okay but in that video he said I didn't used to like be for the halo and obviously now I absolutely am because it absolutely saved his life and it's such an incredible piece of technology and like people complain about what it looks like but at the end of the day you know we learn from every incident that happens and obviously it was devastating that we had to learn from Jules Bianchi's crash for this to be brought in but you know thank god you know and, and also it's worth mentioning as well that the halo actually really um did uh, stroll some um, favors yeah an hour yeah. or so later when the race was restarted and he was completely turned upside down and i think it, because of the, what happened to grosjean i don't think we really anyone really paid a lot of attention but looking back at like if you look at strolls as an individual incident like that halo took so much um brunt from the from the concrete imagine if that had just been his head i remember six years ago when jules bianchi had his crash that sadly took his life the t and um the tv cameras like made a point of not showing what had happened because i think they knew yeah. straight away that he'd like collided with a, uh, a crane and that it was going to be a very serious accident and the same the same way in which the tv cameras after grosjean's car had crashed and we'd all seen the crash on tv the way the tv cameras just didn't show anything for a couple of minutes that was that was like fearing the worst that was sort of very eerie and it's left you wondering no please and please really hope that hasn't happened um but of course luckily yeah he did like it's it's actually unbelievable he got out of that with with the injuries he had like the fact that the car has split in two he was in a fireball for about 30 seconds mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. just trying just trying to get out just trying to and get his senses yeah g of like, deceleration um yeah the, the, like the, the usual deceleration force on a um, Formula One car in the heaviest braking zones is about six G, and his accident had fifty three G in it, and he hit oh, uh, got some other yeah, he hit the barrier at one hundred and thirty seven miles an hour. And of course, he has cost yeah. Just say um, fifty three G right is the equivalent of going from five hundred and nineteen meters per second down to zero in one second. Yeah, for me, it's, it's the, the fact he hasn't his insides like even if his his outside stayed in the car due to seatbelts how did his inside stay in place well yeah. i don't understand yeah. well, like, i'm so thing happy is, that they did yeah it doesn't quite work like that because g-force <laughs> is a really weird thing because if you jump out of a tree right you're, you're traveling quite fast and you hit the ground and it's instant you decelerate really 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 fast mm. um the g-force is momentarily ridiculous but because it's momentarily it's kind of 
not as bad. 53G, like, if you, if you made someone sustain that for a few seconds would be enough to, to do some serious damage. Because of things like the instantaneous stopping and the devices behind his neck, that's mm. the impressive one for me, is, mm. is the fact he didn't snap his neck. But um, that's why mm. that's why his insides didn't melt. Also, I think we have to agree now. Anyone who thinks that the Halo doesn't doesn't deserve a place in Formula One, their opinion is worthless. To be honest, <laughs> I've I've got to, I've got to admit when the Halo first came in, I kind of I saw the need for it. But part of me was like, oh, it's a little bit a little bit of an eyesore. You know, does it need to be on the car? But we've seen now two instances. Uh, the first one I remember a couple of years ago at Spa when Fernando Alonso was catapulted over Charles Leclerc's uh, Sauber. And landed like on the cockpit area, but of course with the halo, like people people may think, oh, the halo is just like another bit of carbon fiber. The halo is nine kilograms of solid titanium. Like it takes a lot to break that thing. We see, if you see the pictures from of Grosjean's car from the crash, like the um, the survival cell, which is the front bit of the car, which sort of split off, like it's all charred and burnt. But the halo with like a, f- a few little sort of uh, dents is still basically intact. Mm. And that's the reason why he managed to get out the accident because the halo bit with the, the titanium um, halo was there to protect his head. And without the halo, it would have been, let's be honest, it would have been his head that would have hit the barrier. In my head, we, we shouldn't compromise safety of, of people. I was, with, I, was for, I was for the halo and I am for better protections for for drivers and it, it's it strikes me now even more so that w- we cannot we cannot have any doubt in our mind that the, the the whole idea of having just an exposed driver is an outdated concept and i wonder if this is just going to further push formula one towards a, a more closed cockpit design which i don't think is a bad thing because it, it wouldn't detract anything from the sport yeah, I do think that the era of the open cockpit is coming to an end. I mean, if we'd have seen a, a string of years, a number of years where the halo had been implemented, the critics had continued to say, it looks ugly, there's no need for it. And there was sort of zero or very few instances where the halo was required to basically save a driver's life or to prevent them from severe injury. Then I think the criticism would still be there and it'd be less likely that other motorsports um, would be willing to introduce this in the future. But the fact is we've all touched upon, we've seen two or three occasions where the halo has done its job, done it incredibly well and saved someone's life. I think it's getting to the point now where each motorsport is going to go, well, we need to do something like the Halo, if not the Halo, because these incidences are so common uh, in terms of racing, in terms of seasons. We just cannot take that risk. Because imagine if there was a motorsport which didn't have a, a Halo-type system or the Halo system, and then one of their drivers died. I mean, that would be completely lambasted by the entire um, sporting community, by uh, national newspapers by global institutions all of that sort of stuff the risk at this point is just too great because we've seen how important and useful a system like the halo is uh, in terms of sustaining life so i don't see how there's any sort of mandate or reasoning where people can go we're going to retain the open cockpit and not uh, put in place a halo type system for me th- that era and that argument is basically redundant on that, on that note, actually, um, I was going to point out that F1 and F2 and F3 have halos, but actually the single-seaters in the lower formulas, so British F3 and British F4 and French F4 and Italian F4 and, you know, all of those, American, they actually don't have halos, um, which I hope 
will then be recently be reconsidered because their to the top speed of those cars are not as fast. But however, the, you know, I think I'm pretty sure the top speed of British F4 car is about 160 miles an hour. You know, Grosjean was doing 130 something, as you said. They're doing similar speeds. You know, they, they, there's a chance that they could be crashing at that speed. It's unlikely because they're going, you know, on smaller tracks, slower cars. But you know, that's a similar speed and they don't have halos on those cars. And so I'm really hoping, as you say, Tom, that more and more and more and more pick up because they are FIA run um, or managed series. So that I think that should be a, the next step forward. But absolutely, it just shows us how far how, how far we've come in general um, in the sport. And I think that Sunday was like such a crucial moment in the history of the sport and in the sense that he he like obviously crucial moments in the past have been when unfortunately when drivers have been lost but this is a crucial moment in the sense that it's shown so much and it's made people see things differently i'd say pretty much yeah i'd say all, all the safety features proved the halo proved why it's a good thing it also mm -hmm. proved why why if you think also the structure of the car how when if it does split in two which i've i've never seen happen but if it does then they had the the survival cell which is the front of the car which should have went through the barrier but it kept like the reason it's called survival cell is it helps the driver to survive part part of me still thinks uh, yeah of course the safety features like they worked but th there was still like I, I i still people some people say is it a miracle or not i would still uh, there are elements to it i'd yeah. say which are which are miraculous like for example if he'd been knocked unconscious like that would have changed things if, yeah. if if that if more fuel had managed to like there was about 100 kilograms of fuel on board now if if more of that had ignited and i know a lot of it ignited but if more had ignited, then who knows what would have happened. I was going to say the fact as well, it was the lap one third corner because the safety car, the medical car, sorry, was following the, the, the pack. Yeah. Um, if it had been a later lap, the medical car would have had to leave the pits and drive to that location. And obviously we know he got out himself, but he, you know, you don't, you don't know what could have happened if certain things hadn't been in certain places. But I, um, I don't know about you guys, but just thinking on this note that getting out himself and thinking, when, when we finally found out, um, and they said he's out the car. He's out the car. I don't know about you, but I was picturing he's out the car in the sense that he was sprawled on the floor, having medical care, barely, barely with us. And for me, that was a win. I, I was like, oh my god, he's out the yeah. car. And when I saw him sat in the back of the car and then strolling across, or not necessarily strolling, but being helped across the truck, walking, I could not, but like I physically could not get it. I could not believe it. Out the car to me when dragged out giving getting cpr on the side of the track that's how i was picturing so the fact that and i can't even imagine what the medical delegate would have thought when he ran towards that fire and saw a man climbing out of an explosion like i don't know if you've seen but roman has actually made his profile picture <laughs> a picture of him opening up his has um suit with a suit with the superman logo underneath because he really is a little yeah. bit of a hero what an absolute like obviously he said spoke about his children you know i, I actually might cry <laughs> sorry um like his this children is the being the reason for him suit, isn't it though this is the whole point of everything and this is what it's all, yeah. it keeps getting lost and this is why i don't want to use the word miracle because there was luck absolutely he was lucky that it was slow he was lucky that there was the medical for this was all luck but what wasn't luck, what wasn't a miracle, was every single person who has gone into researching the fireproof suits, researching the titanium halo, and also every person who's died to make it happen as well, because yeah. that's something well, that wasn't a miracle. And every single one of those, po those people could have been saved if we had what we have now. And yes, there was luck there. There was no doubt about that. But what saved Roman's life wasn't luck, and it certainly wasn't a miracle. What 
what saved his life was the hundreds of people involved in trying to make our sport slightly safer and the tens of people who died well just doing the thing they loved and that's the sad bit actually of all of this is Roman's survival is a testament to the death of all those who came beforehand people like Jules and yeah. yeah, he. I think he personally, he and his wife personally thanked Jules Bianchi's parents, which I just find mm. so emotional <laughs> because of you know, the, you know, the, the, they pushed so hard after his death for those sort of changes, and so you know, they, you know, they're just one of many people who like we, we and all and right and romance family mm. should be thanking. So yeah, what, what an incredible story, what an incredible day. Well done, Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a really important point, though. You know, in terms of the FIA and what they've been able to do in regards to research and safety, you know, we hear all the time when the FIA get it wrong. We've heard on this podcast where I thought that they've got it wrong, where people uh, listening as well have no doubt thought that the FIA have got decisions wrong. You know, they're ruling by the letter of the law. They don't understand the emotion and uh, passion of Formula One, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Sunday, that race weekend, that race was a moment where the FIA got it absolutely right. And it was a moment where they, they showed the world that they were right to pursue with the safety, safety regulations they had been. They were right to pursue with the research and the implementation of the halo, regardless of the criticism which came from drivers, mechanics and fans alike. And I don't think they're given the good press that they deserve, because as I say, whenever they do something wrong, you'll hear all about it all the time. But this... It, it saved Roman's life, and it could have been far, far worse if the, if the FIA hadn't taken safety precautions as seriously as they as they have, and it would have been far worse if, as I said, the halo system wasn't there. Right. What's next? Now Perez and uh, um, Albon. Ocon. Albon. Okay. Albon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. Cool. So now moving on to the actual racing that we saw on Sunday, let's talk about Sergio Perez. He qualified in fifth place, was able to get up to third place and retained that third place on the restart. It was all going rather well for him. He was able to keep Max and Lewis honest and then his engine failed. And as his engine failed, so did his hopes of securing that second seat for Red Bull next year, in my view. On the flip side, there is always a winner. It depends on the perspective, of course. Albon was able to qualify in fourth place after that horrendous crash uh, in practice, and he was able, at the expense of Perez, to get up to third place. The records, the history books will say, a third place for Alexander Albon. Congratulations to him. Ran a very good race, but if Perez was able to stay in that race, if his engine had have sustained itself, would we be looking at that result as a great result or a good enough result? Uh, but as we say, third place pretty much secures Albon's place in the Red Bull team and family uh, for next year. It's quite clear in my view that Red Bull don't want to replace Albon with Perez. That is, that is the nuclear option for Red Bull. They very much want to promote their sort of uh, junior drivers because of the ideology that comes with the fact that they have um, two teams in the sports, uh, both of which are now sister teams as opposed to junior and senior. However, but what do we all think? Do we think that with this race... Perez's chance of getting a seat at Red Bull or anywhere in 2021 is over. Is Albon's future secured? What do we think? Poor, poor Sergio Perez, eh? I mean, the man is just doing so well. Like, every, perform every performance he puts in, every race, I feel like he's getting the maximum out of the car that he's in. And Bahrain was another example of that. Qualified in fifth place, 
made two perfect starts. I mean, admittedly, he was on the cleaner side of the grid, but both times he passed uh, passed Bottas on both occasions and passed Albon on both occasions. So he did what he needed to do with the start, held a solid third place throughout the race, kept Alex Albon at like arm's distance, three or four seconds behind, didn't look like much of a threat from behind, and then his engine goes goes bang. I mean, desperately unlucky. I feel like he almost put, he almost put in a faultless performance on. Again, it's this second, this like second half of the year when his future has been more on the line, and ever since like he lost his seat, he's really, really gone out of his way to prove how good a driver he is, and it it just comes across. I mean, we, we, we've known for years that he's been a good driver. He started off as a pay driver in Formula One, and then sort of gradually came morphed into one who sort of brought money and brought um, bucket loads of talent. But now, definitely, his the bucket loads of talent are what. He brings to this force uh, to this racing point team, and it's shown every weekend. I still find it astonishing that he doesn't have a seat for next year. It would be absolutely criminal that drivers like Nikita Mazepin, or Lance Stroll, or Nicholas Latifi would have a seat ahead of him. But you know that's the cruel world of Formula One, I guess. Red Bull, I mean Red Bull, they they it's it's an interesting one because they said they they decide about their second driver. After like the three races, sort of around about like Portugal, Imola, Turkey, and now they've delayed that decision until the end of the season, um, which gives Alex Albon a bit more time to prove himself. The one thing I would say for, with Albon this weekend, I mean, at the end of the day, if it wasn't for an engine failure, he would have failed to have beat a racing point, and he wouldn't have got on that podium. But it has to be admired, I'd say, the, his recovery. Lest we forget, he had a big crash in uh, FP two. Lost a lot of uh, chance for doing track time after that, um, on that afternoon and evening. Uh, so to come back from that, and I mean, fourth place is where you'd expect him to get. And he did get that after limited running on the, fr on the Friday afternoon, evening. And then to get in the end, lucked into a third place in the race. But he did make a relatively strong comeback from what was a big setback. And he's had weekends before where he's not had uh, such a setback and he still turned out below par performances. So you could say that resilience has to be commended, but it's one of, the, one of those weekends where ne neither Perez enhanced his chances of a seat, nor Albon ruined his chances of a seat or enhanced it. One interesting comment after the race from Max Verstappen, he made a comment after the race, he was asked about um, Albon's podium, and he said, um, he said something like, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure being 30 to 40 seconds behind your teammate is very good. He got the podium, but he should have been closer. That's interesting. Does that show some frustration amongst the team coming out a bit that Albon should is not as like close to the front as he should be, not as close to being able to take advantage? So it's it still it still feels like a situation is very much up in the air at the moment. Yeah, but he was still ahead of other people, and that's the that's the real takeaway there, isn't it? And <laughs> it, what I think of Albon's performance on Saturday is is you know relatively short. He he did good. If he had gone from tenth to fourth and then eventually third given what we know that would happen to poor Perez, uh, everyone would be shouting his praises. And people seem to be flip-flopping at the moment between uh, between chanting, remove Albon, and then announce Albon, depending on how he does week by week. So, yeah, I think, I think just like you, um, Angus, I don't think he has improved his chances. I don't think he's damaged them either. But to be honest, I don't think Red Bull like him. I think Helmut Marco doesn't like him. And I, I think they're they're hoping to find another Verstappen. It's going to keep changing drivers eventually. They'll find another Verstappen. Red Bull as a team are annoying me quite a lot because they're just so 
unwholesome, <laughs> if you'd like. They, I, I, yeah, whereas whereas Alpha Tauri seem to be really trying to promote the drivers and help the drivers and whatnot, um, it seems like Red Bull want a free pass with a driver and they want two Max Verstappen. So, I don't know, try and clone him. So, to be honest, I think Albon won't necessarily have a drive next year he might well depending i think on how red bull can do finding another driver i think is is where i am right now if albon doesn't if albon gets the red bull seat last year next year sorry i think it would just be because they couldn't find anyone better and i think albon would be better served leaving anyway because to be honest a team that doesn't want him then more fool them because he's got great talent he's a young you know inspiring driver that is passionate about the sport and you know He's also quite, seems quite a nice guy, which is nice to have in the sport a little bit, I think. On my side, I think, I think actually more and more as time passes, I'm, I'm edging towards the album might get to keep it. I'm, I'm so shocked that I'm saying that because I, I really, every time something, he does something like, I think his, an event happens that may you know, make him not, not look great. Um, for example, yes, the incident on Friday in practice and things that results and how far he's been behind Max in the past has made me think he's just paving a way to lose his seat. And I've been really quite down about that. I've been really disappointed because I think he deserves a great opportunity. But the more it's gone on, I'm thinking they really are waiting to see. Like it, it's a very odd situation. And I'm not sure if you if you saw, um, but on, on Monday, so uh, yesterday from when we were recording this, um, there was a press, Perez announced that he was holding a press conference. And because Perez was holding the press conference and not Red Bull, everyone presumed it would be bad news because it's always the team that announces it first if the driver's moving. So Perez said, I'm holding a press conference and everyone was quite concerned. Oh no, he's not got a seat, he's not got a seat. And he sat in that press conference and to be fair, it was in Spanish. So I don't know exactly what was said. I've only just read like articles that have written about it. But in this press conference, he said, I don't really know what's happening next year, which just seems a very odd reason to hold a press conference. But basically what the main gist that got, they got from it was Red Bull is his is his main plan A. That's what he wants. But he won't find out unless they just like it's a matter of whether they want to keep Albon or whether it will be him. So I think I think if Albon goes, it will be Perez. Um, however, he said that his plan B was actually to take a time, take like a year out of the sport. Um, and then like out of F1 altogether, which is really sad. However, he did mention possibilities for 2022. So whether someone's eyed him up for a seat next, the following year, that would be absolutely brilliant. So it was a really stupid thing well, <laughs> to hold a press conference in all of this chaos. And everyone was like, oh my God. And he didn't give any information really. But it is interesting to know that Red Bull is his main aim and his main objective. So there's clearly been some conversation there. But the fact that Perez is still so unsure suggests that they haven't actually decided, which is... So silly, and it also puts a lot of pressure on these next few races for both drivers. Um, I just hope that both of them are sensible and both of them, you know, have some good safe drives. But I'm thinking more and more Albon, which is crazy because as much as I adore him, I didn't think he was going to get to keep the seat. I think Perez would be better in Red Bull than Albon is, though, because Albon is still at that point in his career where he needs that little bit of nurture. And I think Perez is a bit more of a complete package he is the fully assembled subway sandwich if you'd like <laughs> whereas albon is is still being toasted with his cheese you know I, so i so i think nice. red bull i think what red bull really want is a driver that can just do it you know has that nike inspiration and so i think albon is doomed just because red bull don't want him which is why they're waiting this is what i was saying so 
Yeah, I think if, if Albon keeps getting the podiums, Liv, I think then I will agree with you that he's more likely to get it. But currently, I think he's not delivering the performance that Red Bull want. And it might well be too little too late because what can he actually prove in two races? Yeah. Well, I don't think it could just be luck. Much. Like, mm. if yeah, he exactly. was to do quite well, people would be like, oh, he just had a lucky two races. No, I get that. And also, I, I agree in the sense that he could, I think he may be better suited somewhere else, as you say, because it's just a much nicer environment. He, I've never seen Alex Albon looking happy on a race weekend. Like, it's true. Like, he's a he's a lovely, smiley person. But when he's there, like, I get it, he's focused. But it it does seem to me like he's not happy there. So yeah, I wouldn't. I agree. I think he would do well at Alpha Tauri. I don't want to see him move to Sport. So you know, that would be my ideal place for him. But I'm just intrigued why they're leaving it so long. It does seem to me that they just really, at the moment, don't know, which is just very odd. <laughs> I just think it's such a negative environment for Albon to be in where he just doesn't know what's going to happen next year uh, he doesn't know if he's going to be with Red Bull with AlphaTauri uh, it's all up in the air I mean same with Perez but granted he's even said recently in an article he's got options for 2022 so it's just a case of whether he takes a sabbatical next year or actually has a drive from what he's saying um believe as much as you will with that one but going back to Albon he needs security he needs to have that arm around the shoulder and be told that he is loved by the Red Bull family by Alpha Tauri Don't by we whoever <laughs> well we of course of course a different subject but yes um, <laughs> um, but he, he needs that security in order to thrive that's why we saw Gasly performing so well in AlphaTauri slash Toro Rosso, because he knew that if he didn't do well or as good as he could do, he would still have that seat. One would think, unless he did a sort of Brendan Hartley uh, and did that badly, he would have a seat um, for next year. And for that reason, I think Albon needs to take a step back in inverted comments, even though I think a move to AlphaTauri is not necessarily a negative thing. Looking at how sort of poorly in secondary he's been treated at Red Bull and and give Perez the chance um, to really show us in a top car, the, the second best car, one would think, uh, considering the cars will basically be the same for next year. And, you know, put, put him to the test and let him show me and indeed the world if he really is as good... Uh, as I and others say, because, you know, it's, it's all good me saying, oh, I think Perez is a marvellous driver. Um, he really deserves more. But you need to obviously have that in practice because you can only go so far with a team like uh, like, like Racing Points, uh, regardless of their sort of Mercedes uh, inspiration, shall we say. But as I say, unfortunately, I think Perez's days in Formula One uh, are numbered in terms of 2021 uh, and Albon will remain at Red Bull. But... For me, that's just kicking the can down the road because if he does, well, if he has a season once again where he underperforms, there's no guarantee he'll retain that seat because Max will be in his ear and on his back, and so will Helmut Marco and probably Christian Horner as well, knowing how he was with a uh, with Gasly so far that he kicked him out. Um, so, is it good news that he stays? Not convinced. Not convinced. I'm not sure that much that more needs to be said, cool. really. Actually, yeah, let's let's move that on. Was kind of... I, was, I was just still thinking about the subway analogy that um, <laughs> <laughs> Alex Alex Harbour hasn't yet been toasted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, <laughs> hasn't been toasted, but he's been roasted, already, Sorry. Sergio Perez is like a meatball marinara. You just can't go wrong with it. It always always steps up the plate. Comparing Sergio Perez to a meatball marinara. Yes, always steps up to the plate. It's a good, solid option. 
Also sort of uh, Hispanically inspired as well. He comes from Mexico, for those of you who don't know. Marinara is mm. Italian. I'm sorry, it's Italian. And but... meatballs is it? are... No, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there's no Bayea subway. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some inspiration at some point. Uh, what, what, what's Alex Alban? Yeah, he's just... He's, just, he's plain he's, cheese. He's just the early stages, really, isn't he? So, the news has broke today, as of Tuesday, that the seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton will miss the next Bahrain Grand Prix after he tested positive for COVID-19. According to Mercedes, the Brit woke with mild symptoms, uh, but naturally, because he's tested positive, he will be unable to race. He says he's devastated because of this, and who would blame him, to be honest? But this leaves the question, who will replace Lewis Hamilton in that famous, formidable black Mercedes car for the next race. Well, at the moment, we don't know, but I think we can all take educated guesses to the fact that it'll be narrowed down to three or four drivers. George Russell, Esteban Ocon, uh, Stoffel van Dorn, and Esteban Gutierrez, unless you, uh, you fellas have any other ideas. Well, um, a couple of people, obviously, just for the banter, said Hulkam back, hashtag Hulkam back. But he um, obviously, uh, he actually posted earlier saying that he was not on a plane, just to make it clear that it would not be him. <laughs> but yeah, I, do, I agree with the four that you mentioned. But like going back full circle again, we are the George Russell Appreciation Squad. Um, <laughs> obviously, we would absolutely love to see George in a car. And I think that would be an absolutely brilliant idea. Whether Williams, in my opinion, will let him go is a different thing, because at the moment with um, the bottom two, uh, it is rather close in the sense that Haas only have three more points. Um, and obviously they do have a replacement driver in this weekend. They don't have uh, romance. So could this be an opportunity for Williams to gain points on on Haas? Probably not. But would they want to get rid of their lead driver? Um, who knows? I, I, I'm interested to know what the cause is there for, for George. But um, I do feel for Stoffel van Dorn because he is, after all, their reserve driver. Which So it might be a little bit of a kick in the teeth if you are listed as the Mercedes reserve, reserve driver and the main one, and they completely jump that and go for George. Um, he was actually in Valencia for the past four days doing testing for Formula E, but he finished this afternoon at about 4pm. So there is absolutely the chance for him to get on a plane um, and be there for tomorrow for the Wednesday sort of checks they have, which is when all the first COVID tests and stuff happen. And it's worth noting as well, he has had multiple COVID tests over the past, like as I just said, like four days. So he's definitely... You know, we know he's going to be there, but obviously George will be there. And if George were to step up into the from the Williams, they have someone like Jack Eichen, um, who has enough super um, super license points that he could he could um, race in the Williams. Um, now the championship is decided for for um, Mercedes. Like in a way, it's kind of quite a nice opportunity for them to test people. Like it doesn't really matter as much. So could you know, could this be a chance to test George Russell for his, for a future drive? I, I would really love that. Um, I think it's just going to be interesting to see how they work out. And, it, and I think at the end of the day, it's all going to be completely up to Williams on whether that happens or not. Um, but fingers crossed for George. I'd love to see it. And imagine if he scored his first point. That's in what season. I was going to say. Points for Russell. But, but the release, can you imagine? But um, like if I he can't did, imagine. He, no, imagine if he DNF'd or something and then his replacement, like Jack Eichen, scored a point for Williams. Oh. Oh. The thing is, though, the knock-on consequences of, of Hamilton missing his first race since 2007 are quite significant for the Formula 1 community because this would allow us to answer quite a few questions. Firstly, is the Mercedes car so good that anyone can win in it? Okay, so 
that would be a good one test good test right Stoffel van Dorn jumps into the car or George Russell or whoever jumps into the car and wins that might well fuel uh, some fire on the argument that Hamilton is so good because of the dominance of Mercedes I don't know if I agree with it but hey there it is uh, also um I I would love Russell to get that opportunity because, as you say, Liv, this is a prime moment to test Russell out against Valtteri Bottas, his replacement. Uh, that's Russell replacing Bottas, not Bottas replacing Russell. But anyway, um, so we would be able to find out whether or not, at this moment, Mercedes, and I think Mercedes would be doing this as well, Mercedes would be finding out whether or not Russell is worthy to take on the Silver Arrow. Um, although... <laughs> Given that it's George Russell and he is, he's been a bit unlucky, we all know that if George Russell jumped into the Mercedes, this would be the weekend uh, that his engine would explode, tyres would fall off and suspension would fail as he tries <laughs> to leave the pit for the um, for free practice one or something like that. So uh, fingers crossed that doesn't happen, but we all know how Sod's law works, yeah. works in mysterious ways. And um, if Bottas out-qualifies him, that means George will lose his record. Of being the, one of the most out, like the one of the drivers who's outqualified their teammate ever. That's so sad. He'll lose yeah, it. Yeah, but he's still outqualified his original teammate in uh, Latifi. Yeah. So. but, but it's the still other a the other weird thing about this is if George Russell doesn't get the seat, and in the next race we have two new drivers who both score points, then. Weirdly, out of twenty drivers in the lineup, Russell would end up in like twenty third place because he would be <laughs> behind Hulkenberg, he would be behind Stoffel Van Dorn, and he would also be against um, Fittipaldi if Fittipaldi scored points. So, one mm. of the other weird things about this race is Russell could have end could actually and also um, Latifi could end up coming like twenty third and twenty fourth out of twenty. Which would be bizarre. I would say I'm. I, I hate. I hate to be a party poop, but I don't think George Russell got given the seat. Hi there, editor Tristan here. I hate to interrupt this podcast, but I wanted to explain that everything you're hearing here is accurate from the information we had at our disposal on Tuesday evening which was that Mercedes was still debating who to replace Hamilton with, and there was still much speculation by everyone about whether Williams would allow Russell to drive for Mercedes. Now, as it turns out, Williams would announce just 12 hours after he recorded this that Russell would in fact be driving for them. So before you raise your pitchforks and come after us for the upcoming wrong information provided, just bear in mind that we did not know who was going to drive the second Mercedes at the time of recording. There, I'm done now. I'll let you get back to listening to Angus explain why he felt that Williams would not allow Russell to drive for Mercedes in the upcoming Bahrain race. I made a I made a point earlier off I think off recording that um, that Haas will want this. Uh, you'll see where this is going. Haas would want Roman Grosjean to be back for the final race of the season because there is as as whilst the chances of Haas and Williams getting points are slim, there is still a chance. Um, and with the next race, um, for those of you, those of our listeners who do not know, they're going back to the Bahrain circuit, of course, but they are using a different layout. So instead of doing the t- the twisty tight infield section, that's the traditional Bahrain circuit, they're doing like the sort of the, the faster outer section. So it's going to be about a 55 second lap. It's going to be a, new, a bit of a new track, um, a lot faster. So more of a curveball. 
So that so you'd think that teams like Haas or Williams would want their strongest possible lineup in that race. And for Haas, that would be Grosjean. Um, of course, can't be back for um, this race. But Williams, I think, would want George Russell there to in case there was opportunity to score points. Because let's be honest, out of the two drivers, George Russell is definitely more likely than Nicholas Latifi to get in a points-paying position. Russell, on a on a good normal weekend... In the, in the race, man, like with a couple of retirements, is hovering around that like 12th, 13th place, ready and prime for something to take advantage of something. I mean, in Imola, I know he crashed out from 10th, but he was there in 10th on merit, ready to take advantage. So I would, I can see Williams saying to Mercedes, We don't want you to take him because we want to try and get some points to get ourselves off the bottom of the, the championship uh, table and try and get that ninth place. So I can see, I know obviously at the end of the day, Mercedes have control of Russell and have a lot of sway over his contract. But I think for that reason, it's going to end up being Stoffel van Dorn. Um, you speak about the other options, Hulkenberg. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we can dream, but I don't think that's going to happen. Esteban Gutierrez. I read earlier, he hasn't driven a single seater car in anger since like 2017. I know he's been a test driver, but part of me thinks what's he been doing since then. But so I think for that reason, he wouldn't get the seat. Stoffel van Dorn has been racing in Formula E won a race in Formula E, I believe, uh, end of last season. So I think it would end up being him. Of course, I would love to have it be Russell. As I say this, I just saw a BBC Sport article saying George Russell's the leading contender to replace Lewis Hamilton. So that might have just completely torn apart any uh, argument I just made. Of course, I think, the weird thing is, though, the, the, the mm. listeners are going to hear this in hindsight. They know the result. They know the result. Guys. What's happened? Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think they, I think they may, might ask but not get... I think they did a similar yeah. thing with, didn't they, they asked when they were doing, um, before they signed Bottas's contract, didn't they ask Williams if they could release Russell from his contract early to oh, get, yeah. put him in a Mercedes seat and Williams said, no, we, we're keeping him here for 2021. But it was might that old Mercedes? No, sorry, old Williams. Yeah. Yeah. As in different management. Yeah. Before um, Derilton. Actually, yeah, before... No, I, I don't know. I, I can't... I can, I can see Williams saying to Mercedes, no, sorry, we want him... Because, yeah. because what because what if there is a crazy race and Russell ends up yeah. in like seventh seventh or eighth place and, and all of a sudden? But if, but if Dalton just roll over and give Russell away for the weekend, doesn't that just continue the argument and mantra that Williams are a B team to Mercedes? They can't stand up for themselves, and there's no point in them being in the sport. Surely Dalton, if they're serious, would go. Actually, no, you know. Give us a bit of respect. We're going to keep our drivers because this is somewhere where we need to score points. You know, your your situation regarding Hamilton and COVID is irrelevant. I don't think they they know they're not going to score points this weekend. It's too fast. So the mm-hmm. question they got to ask themselves is: Are they willing to have a driver who is annoyed at them for not letting him have a go? Because I mean, let's face it. Yes, that's you're absolutely right there. But on the flip side of that, they might well think, well. We think we're not going to score any points. The less corners and stuff like that there are, the less chances of, of some serious overtakes. And is there a, a moment where you put the driver in front of the team? And sometimes teams do that. So I don't know. I don't nah, know what's going they, on behind if, the, the, if, if the they, scenes. If they if had that much of a defeatist attitude about it... It's I not don't, defeatist. They, they, it's sportsmanship. No, I, I, I think... don't know. If, 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 they're, if they're serious about... It's, Williams is serious about getting back to the sharp end. The, they mm. need to do baby steps, let's be honest. And getting ninth in the Constructors' Championship, yes, it could still be unlikely to happen. But if you go into a weekend thinking, 
oh, we're not going to get any points, and just being like, oh, let's have Nicholas Latifi and Jack Aitken, doesn't inspire much confidence. No offence to either of those boys, but <laughs> doesn't inspire... Like, if I was them, I'd be fighting tooth and nail to keep Russell yeah. on for this, for this race. A good, exa- a good time to, to prove himself as well. Yeah. He's, just... it would give, he's not up there in F2, really, in the champ, in the standing, so it would give him a, self, uh, a chance to say, like, I am good, it's maybe just my car or whatever in F2, because <laughs> yeah. compared to the people who should be graduating up, like Callum Eilert, uh, angry emoji, he should deserve it. He deserves a damn seat. He does. He has officially announced now that he has not got a seat, which is hashtag cry. Oh, anyway, um, yeah, but but anyway, um, I can. It would be an interesting opportunity to see how he did because he's not up there. But there's a reason he has his super license points, and there's a reason they've they've got him those 300 kilometers that he needs because clearly they trust him to be in the car. Um, but just to going back, I, I don't. I think it's very much in the middle of what's going to happen. But I do see the point in the sense that the difference between ninth and tenth, uh, money-wise, that they, you know, winnings that they get is huge. Like every jo- every point upwards is such a significant amount of money. I can understand completely why they would fight with everything they've got for that ninth place. So, yeah, would they want their strongest driver, which is George Russell? There, quite likely. It really just depends, in my opinion, on what the contract is. I don't think it's a matter of what they want or what either team wants to do or whether they want to do this one if it's in the contract that's how it will be so i think it's just going to be really interesting to see how it plays out like plays out because and again stoffel van Dorn is the reserve driver so i feel like if if stoffel gets it people are going to be like oh my god it should have been george but at the end of the day stoffel that's his job so good luck to him as well we we do have to be prepared for for it could be stoffel and it could be russell and these are the reasons why it might be either yeah absolutely it's it's very hard to tell at the moment i think it's we can speculate but Let's just wait and see. And listeners, you're probably laughing at us right now. <laughs> you're thinking, ah, way... it was Hulkenberg the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he unmasked himself just before he got in the car. Like in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah. I, I, anyway. I think to be fair, though, regardless of whoever sits in Lewis Hamilton's car, of which the listeners will know and we don't at the moment, it's very interesting to see what will happen in terms of team dynamic because Bottas by default will be the de facto team leader. He will have absolute preference in terms of strategy, tyres and all that good stuff he's never really been able to have uh, when Lewis Hamilton has been sitting in that car and indeed racing. So it'll be incredibly interesting to see what will happen in terms of Valtteri Bottas. Will he seize the day? Will he say to the team and to his uh, temporary um, teammates, no, we're going to do it my way? Uh, Or will he be, let's say... A little more neutral on the matter. So for me, it's a big test for Bottas because casting our minds back to his Williams days, was he the de facto team leader at Williams or was it Felipe Massa? I err on the side of Felipe Massa because of his experience and because of what he was able to achieve. So has he ever had this role before? Will he be given this role? Is an incredibly interesting question, which um, we'll find out on Saturday, Sunday, and indeed Friday. And so ends episode 20 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, for sticking right to the end of this episode. We've got through a lot, a lot of uh, deep, interesting and meaningful topics. Of course, we started with the tragic crash of Romain Grosjean on Sunday at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Despite all, all the fire and shrapnel that we saw being spread across the track and indeed going into the barrier, we are happy 
uh, to say that, of course, Romain Grosjean was able to escape from that incident without any broken bones, without any fractures, and with only mild burns on his hands and on his ankles. He wants to get back into that Haas car for Abu Dhabi, and fingers crossed he's able to do just that for his final race with Haas this season, and indeed, we believe, forever. Uh, we've also spoken as well about uh, Sergio Perez and Alex Albon. Uh, Perez qualified in fifth, was able to get up to third place. He's never been able to secure back-to-back -back podiums before. And once again, he was unable to, not through any fault of his own, but because that Racing Point engine failed. Who was there but the current second driver of Red Bull, Alexander Albon. He was able to get a, a second podium of this season, a third place. For me, I think the debate's over. I think Alexander Albon has got that seat for next season, but there's all still to play for. Two more races to go. You never know what could happen. And finally, we've just concluded with the news that Lewis Hamilton will not be racing in the second Bahrain Grand Prix. This comes after he's tested positive for COVID-19. But who will replace him? George Russell? Stoffel van Dorn? Hulkenberg? You, dear listener, will know, but we are none the wiser at the moment. What will this mean for Mercedes, for Bottas, and indeed for the race? A time for Max to shine? Very, very possible indeed. But until next time, thank you very much for listening. We'll be returning for episode 21 to talk about the second Bahrain Grand Prix at the new and different layouts from this weekend. Thank you very much for listening. Did we want to add about Nikita Mazepin or are we just not bothered now? We'll just... Nah, yeah, can, he can he can wait. No, the, um, he can he wait. Can wait. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not it's not that big news, is it really? Like no, oh no, it's not big news. I just we have a lot of. <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's fine. We'll, we'll, when we have it, know about Schumacher, which again is another pretty much a shoe in. Three shoes. We can discuss it. Yeah. <laughs>